You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Activia. Activia offers a range of yogurts that help support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of the Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry. Welcome to the Real Health Podcast with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. According to one of today's guests, Ireland is tired but wired, with 20% of people in Ireland suffering from insomnia alone. Today's episode is all about sleep. Over the last couple of weeks in my Irish Independent column every Tuesday, I had a six-week sleep well series, and to be honest, I've been amazed by the reaction to the series. It's been absolutely incredible. It shows we have an issue with sleep, the quantity, the quality. Do we track it? Does it work? There's so many components of sleep that we actually don't know a huge amount about. So I'm delighted today to bring you the sleep episode. We have Deirdre McSweeney, sleep expert, and we have Paul DeLockery, who has lots of sleep issues himself. And he's going to tell us a little bit about his story, a story at which I think so many people will be able to relate to in terms of stress, in terms of travel, and in terms of a really busy life affecting his sleep. As ever, if you have any questions for us, either for this podcast or further podcasts, you can get in touch. It's realhealth.independent.ie or hashtag realhealthpodcast on Twitter and on Instagram at carlhenrypt. Deirdre, thank you so much for coming into the Real Health Podcast. Nice to see you. Tell us a little bit about the nation's sleep. How bad do you think it is? It is is it as bad as as I reckon it is? And uh, what's the the current lie of the land for the nation's sleep patterns? Well, I have to say, certainly in the media, it is the buzz theme at the moment, the buzz topic, because it is very real. It is very much out there in people's lives. Um, If we want to look at Ireland in particular, well, we can't really disassociate ourselves from the European uh, situation as well. And on that basis, I just want to point out it's the French and the Finns that are doing all the major research into into sleep medicine. Because sleep medicine has grown over the last 30 to 50 years because we now have tools in which to measure. But actually, it still comes back down to the individual, because what all of us here in the studio might decide this morning what kind of a night we had is how we think we tossed and turned or how we heard the dog barking two doors up or whatever. So it's very much about perception. So what all of us here could think of as a good night's sleep could actually be poles apart from one another if we were being measured. So that's what makes it such a tricky topic, because it is how we feel is what we think about our sleep. So the four main headlines, essentially, in terms of talking about sleep issues and sleep disorders, it's really only the insomnia one and the sleep apnea one that seems to grab the headlines. Mm-hmm. And for very good reason. Yeah. You know, they they're the ones are, people read about the most always. You yes, see insomnia and, and all and they're the ones the that have the more appropriate uh, effect on people, effect on populations that they can talk about. Sleep apnea is out there. It's um, generally and I'm pausing there, affecting the male population uh, because they tend to be the ones that collect fat in the middle of their bodies, mm-hmm. tummy tummy fat, and around their necks. And snoring is one of the key symptoms of okay. sleep, the onset of, of sleep apnea. Now, having said that, thin people can snore as well. Okay, so if but you have a lot of fat around the midriff, around the neck uh, area, and, and, and you snore, over chances the age are... Of 40. Okay, and over the age of 40, 40. chances are you're a high-risk factor for suffer, suffering with sleep apnea. With so sleep what apnea, is sleep apnea? Well, it's a disorder that affects the breathing in sleep. In other words, our, our breathing should be perfectly steady throughout the night as it is during the day, unbeknownst to ourselves. Uh, this stopping and starting of breathing 
uh, occurs during the night whereby the airway closes off. Okay, so you actually stop breathing. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's great to interview partners and everybody else in a clinic to determine and know how often this could be happening, where people often say, oh my God, I have to give him an elbow again to make him breathe properly. Wow. And there's the big replacement gulp in yeah. there. So sleep apnea has to be diagnosed properly mm-hmm. and must be treated. Okay. It's um, in, in three main headlines, mild, moderate or severe in terms of severity. Yeah. Mild generally needs to be treated with lifestyle changes, cutting back on smoking, watching the booze intake, maybe losing a little bit of weight. Yeah. Moderate and severe as a category, need to be treated because it has long-term health effects, mm-hmm. cardiovascular risk, etc., etc. And treatment is the, presumably is the mask that you. It give can be the mask, a, yeah. The and in, in certain other situations, it might be uh, it might be a, a throat surgery. Um, well. I mean, I have to say we've often had people through the clinic where I used to work, um, where you know you would find somebody well into their thirties with tonsils that are called kissing tonsils, but you didn't realise that at the time until older age, you know, your throat yeah. starts to fall in and your your breathing is compromised. So, um, yeah, okay. that's so sleep, for sleep apnea. apnea. Again, let's just recap there because a lot of our listeners, I think, may know someone, a male, because, you know, it's predominantly males, you're saying. So they're over... Well, 4% of the male population over 40 can have it. Okay. Only 2% of women. Okay, so women it's Women tend to snore for different reasons, yeah. usually pre- and post-menopausally, where, where uh, muscle tone is beginning to fade anyway. Okay, so um, again, over 40, visceral fat, uh, who's overweight, lack of fitness, poor lifestyle, they're all kind of risk factors. respiratory problems at night. Yeah. That's the issue, you know, because there are a lot of unhealthy uh, fit people or unfit people out there who are still not snorers necessarily. So snoring is is the key one. Daytime functioning issues adds into that as well, because a lot of people would would present themselves to you sort of saying, you know, I nearly had another miss in the car now the other night driving home after a tough day at work, admittedly. But, you know, we shouldn't be feeling sleepy during the daytime. And that is sometimes one of the key giveaways, because naturally nighttime sleep is being compromised by this stopping and starting breathing during the night. Yes. So okay, you're so being continually ala- no, you're being continually aroused out of your night's sleep by your brain driving you to come on, breathe again, breathe again. So you're actually uh, have very fragmented sleep. Okay, so that's, that's sleep <coughs> apnea. Talk to us about insomnia then. Insomnia, the true definition of insomnia is difficulties initiating or maintaining sleep that has become persistent. The reason I'm stressing that is I have hilarious uh, stories in, in, in practice. No, the uh, persistent thing is that, you know, difficulties with sleep like that, as I've defined, must be occurring four to seven nights a week and going on for three to four months before you would think, yes, there okay. is an issue in because there. Because you hear insomnia uh, thrown around a huge amount as a word, oh. but I'm sure you hear it all the time for people it's who hilarious. have it one I mean, day one or of the two key, days. The, one of the key ones is because people have a little bit more money, they're shutting off to New York for the shopping weekend, going out on a Thursday, back into Dublin Airport on the Tuesday morning, back at their desks by one o'clock on the Tuesday, and they're ringing me on Friday to tell me they've got insomnia. <laughs> that is simply jet lag. Another another problem entirely. Okay. So insomnia really is very much about difficulties initiating or maintaining sleep, as I said, but it's the development of a huge amount of uh, distress, annoyance, frustration about one's sleep. Because really, sleep is one of our most simplest and robust pieces of biology that we should just basically hand ourselves over to. 
Of course, and it's where the body re it rests, it recovers, renews it renews itself from the day. But and it's from very life. important for our, important for our heads as well, Carl. You know, our cognitive functioning takes place during our sleep. Our memory consolidation takes place. Uh, dream sleep is in there to make sense of all our daytime experiences and give us the courage, if you want to call it that, to go on the the next day. Okay. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's the it's the frustration that goes with a lot of sleep difficulties, because, again, the emotional platform, if you like, comes in there because a lot of people who are sitting up awake in the middle of the night think they're the only person in Dublin or in Cork or wherever that's wide awake. And unfortunately, they're not, because as you've outlined already, you know, 20 percent of the population suffer with insomnia at some point in their lives. Yeah. And this is the point with insomnia and its annoyance, really, because a lot of people can pinpoint a particular event that might have started the period of poor sleep. And of course, worry and anxiety is in there as a major one. Of and course. a bereavement, for example, would be a huge life event that can affect our sleep. Financial ruin, worry about illness, etc. But the problem is that uh, even though those issues may be resolved in various ways, the problem with the sleep still continues mm -hmm. because kind of maladaptive habits have been formed in our thinking as well as our behaviours that have made the problem persist. Okay, so I think the key takeaway from the opening part of the, the discussion is the fact that insomnia is not necessarily one night of poor sleep or two nights oh, of poor sleep, that it's got to be a consistent six, you know, five to seven nights oh, a week yeah. over, over a period of time, yes. one, two, three months. And yeah. that's classic insomnia yeah. as opposed to Absol the odd night sleep. Where, oh, you know, absolutely. And there's things called paradoxical insomnia, which is where people actually think and believe and truly, truly believe they're sleeping a lot less than they are. <clears throat> because there's a funny, there's a peculiar uh, fact that came out recently in terms of some of the study being done. And that was that insomniacs, when you take them as a group, can actually sleep better away from their beds, hotel rooms, <laughs> apartment on holiday, etc. Why? Because they're in a different space that's not associated mm -hmm. with annoyance, distress and irritation, whereas it's the good sleeping group have a problem with first night on holidays okay. or in the hotel overnight before a conference. So you can often think yourself into the fact oh, that, you know, that you are that bad sleeper and, that, and by taking yourself out of the environment, th things improve. One final question before we, we uh, chat to Paul. Um, sleep tracking and sleep tracking devices have become incredibly... Oh, there's... Okay. Listeners, if you're if you're in studio, you would see the response that I just got there. It was Curling like someone up. tasting a bitter lemon. Curling a bitter lemon. Um, <laughs> Okay, are, All right. they, no, the are reason, they any good or are they not? That's what I want to know. No, no, so there's super, lots of devices, Fitbits, super, Apple iWatches yeah, have yeah. them. And I have clients who come in, oh, I slept really well, look at my watch. I personally don't use them. Technology in the bedroom is something that we banned about two to three months ago. And it's Smashing. one of the revelations that we for in terms of sleep and in terms of in terms of life generally. Um, sleep trackers, good or bad? Bad. Bad. They can't track your sleep. The only way to record your sleep is to have electrodes on your head, which is what a proper sleep study in, in all our well-recognised labs here around the country do. Okay. Uh, so, uh, one of the uh, devices, I can't say the names, but I mean, what they contain is an accelerometer. So, yes, they're measuring your steps, your movement, your fitness level, yeah. adding in your calories. It's yabba-dabba-doo time in terms of what they can say about you. Yeah. But the only thing they're measuring at night is how still you are. And therefore, assumed sleep is in there. And they're looking at a lovely little graph where you're lying still for an hour and a half at a time. Oh, that must mean you're in X stage of yeah, sleep yeah. and therefore deep sleep. Not really. Okay, love Not it. Not really. Yeah, okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> 
Folks, if you've learned nothing else uh, from listening to the podcast so far, that is a key takeaway. Uh, sleep trackers do not track your sleep. So don't be fooled by it and don't be ru- uh, uh, ruling your life by it. That's a, a crucial one. Uh, Paul DeLockery, thank you for coming into the studio. Um, I'll introduce you to our listeners a little bit. Myself and Paul are training together for a race around Ireland. We're neighbours. He lives about five tours up from me. Uh, I've known him about two years. Uh, super fit guy, adventure races, trains. We cycle together every weekend. But as long as I've known you, you've always chatted to me about the fact that you don't sleep particularly well. Um, and we go out cycling early in the morning. You might not have had a huge amount of sleep that night. So when I thought we were putting on a sleep episode, I said, there's one man who'd love <laughs> to come in and chat to us in the studio. <laughs> and that, that's got to be Paul. Mm. Um, I suppose tell our listeners a little bit about your sleep patterns over the course of a couple of weeks. Because I know there's a different pattern okay. over the course of the of, of So time. last couple of weeks. So uh, as, I me- as I mentioned to Deirdre previous before we came on air, um, <clears throat> my uh, sleep... App, sorry, insomnia, if you want to call it, because it's it's really it's the first no, time it's actually it's actually ever, the first time I've ever been explained to me. So okay. now I've got a little bit more clarity around it. But uh, most of my adult life has been uh, interrupted sleep, bad sleepers. So uh, to take it back the last couple of weeks, generally I would get anything between two and four hours a night. Uh, I'm about to take off my uh, sleepometer watch. But, uh, <laughs> I would really ask you, how do you know? But I clock watch. Yeah. Clock watch is my big thing. There'd mm-hmm. either be the, the one on the ceiling, you know, that projects on the ceiling or beside the bed. But that's how I know. Because every time I wake up uh, from a deep sleep, uh, I generally don't have a major issue getting to sleep. My brain would be wired and busy and active till maybe about midnight. But getting to sleep, we say, at midnight is not a major issue. But two to three hours later, I'm wide awake. Wide awake. First thing you do is look at the clock and that's it. The brain is just mapping out the next 12, 16 hours. In fact, this particular interview has been mapped out in my brain since, since Friday night. Yeah. So to give a perfect example, uh, I do quite a lot of travel with my, with my job. I was away in Serbia all week. So from Thursday night through to Saturday morning, I had, sorry, from Thursday morning to Saturday morning, I had four hours sleep. Over, the, over hours. three days. Over three days. Wow, and um, and you know that w- as a pattern for your sleep, you, that would be a re- a regular enough occurrence for you. So again, you'd be yeah. getting two, three hours a night for maybe four or five weeks. Correct. Then yes. you have a catch-up week. What I call as my sleep week. My sleep week would be a normal six, seven hours per night. You'd feel great. You know, you're in great form. Kids are happy because daddy's happy, which is I'll come on to in a minute about the, the actual side effects. But uh, yeah, so five or, every five or six weeks, I would have what I call my sleep week. Which everybody else would call their normal, normal sleep. sleep week. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And how long? So that pattern has been for most of your most adult of my life. adult life as long as I can remember. I mean, any job I've had has always been reasonably stressful, but like kind of a lot of late working hours, not necessarily doing shift work, but being on call when I was an engineer. So I've always been kind of fairly wired, as we as we mentioned earlier on, late at night, kind of thinking about waiting for the next phone call to come in to go and do a job, okay. or mm-hmm. you know, having <coughs> to get up and go to work. And okay. Plus lots of other personal, you know, things going on. Everybody's got personal yes, of course, uh, yeah, yes. uh, issues, challenges and everyday life. So they play in my mind. So as, uh, when I wake up, 
at the 2 a.m.s and I'm looking at the clock, that's when the brain says, okay, what's going to happen Okay, today, so, so th th there's almost like a, in terms of switching off is very difficult. I think a lot of our listeners will associate yeah. with that without a yeah. doubt, that yeah. life is so busy now, there's so much going yes. on. You know, you've got a family, you've got work, you've got your own personal in terms of training and just in terms of your own personal space, trying to juggle all those around that your kind of mind is, mind is permanently kind of ticking over. Mm. Um, in terms of, in terms of, the effects of the sleep then so how does it how does it play out in terms of in terms of on, on your on your it's low sleep tough, weeks uh, physically and mentally uh physically for obvious reasons the body's tired and you know walking up and downstairs and i do a lot of training as card alluded to earlier on i do a lot of training but even when i train hard and train harder it actually doesn't necessarily make me sleep any better yeah because we did a, we, we, we did a race together in connemara we did a race together in connemara about uh six weeks ago now yeah. in a nighttime sportive for about 110k myself paul and simon one of our other uh, training partners did it together it took us i'm trying to remember the time now i can't remember it was, a, it was four or five it was 340 there we go <laughs> so just under four hours hard racing really really hard in a pack in a group cycling uh we finished we went got a little bit of food straight to bed, I can sleep standing up, I can sleep absolutely anywhere, I have no issues with it, I was out like a light and slept right through the next day, but with the same event, same nutrition, same everything, your sleep for that night total was probably what? Half an hour, 40 minutes, wow. I mean I could hear everything going on in the room, everybody getting up, but it was just, brain could not stop, just could not relax and you're twisting and turning and I have a hiatus hernia as well, so acid reflux, so depending which way you lie in the bed, can trigger the acid reflux. So it can be very uncomfortable. So if I don't have any medication and that particular night, and when you exercise strenuously, it does trigger off acid reflux. So of course that wasn't exactly the guidance, but the entire night I was awake. So four hours cycling, 110K, hard effort, flat out, body needs to recover, mind needs to recover. Cause you're obviously, you know, before an event, you're nervous going into it. It's a, it's a, mm. there's a, a nervous mental component to it as well. It's the middle of the night, you're stuck in the middle of Connemara, you're not really sure. So that's a, a tough mental and physical demand. Yes. The body you would imagine would naturally want to recover. Yeah, 20 minutes, 30 minutes sleep yeah. is just- it's tough, wow. it's tough. Yeah. So I mean, it do, uh, so then the next day, the brain is tired, you know, you, you, uh, the symptoms I generally get, and I don't know, you probably elaborate a little bit more, is nausea, dizziness, lethargic for obvious reasons, but irritability, lack of concentration. So, you know, w w with both my wife and children, it's difficult for them because if I've got two bad weeks of sleep, I'm like a bear sometimes, you know, and you don't mean to be, but mm -hmm. you know, the kids kind of know when daddy's had a good sleep or yeah. not had a good sleep. And mm -hmm. you know, my wife would probably question me, probably irritable all the time, regardless of sleep, but yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, but, uh, but it is, yeah. it is hard on them. Yeah. From my professional career, from working point of view, because obviously you still have to go to work at eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning. Um, uh, I'm kind of lucky because I've got a very good, strong team that support me. Some of which actually suffer from the same sleep deprivation challenges so they understand they get it they can support me like if i need to take an hour or two out just to get some headspace they're great they really are the fantastic and would support. you power nap would you nap during the day no. to catch up or anything no can't do if i if i was to power nap if i was to go out i don't know let's say i went off and have two pints on a sunday afternoon i'd crash out of sleep but i'd be awake at seven and i would not sleep that night of course so, so not, i'm not saying further. alcohol but some people use alcohol to put them to sleep it doesn't work for me yeah but um, no, can't power nap. Can't can't sleep when I travel, be it cars, planes, automobiles, whatever. Um, in hotels, generally, no, I don't. I wouldn't be a great sleeper. The only time when I do kind of sleep reasonably well is when I'm away with the family, on a foreign holiday, in a hotel. 
because I'm switched off. You mentioned earlier on, Deirdre, when you're out of your own environment. Okay, when I travel with work, it's different because the brain is busy with work. But when it's just myself, the family, when we're away on a holiday, that's when I would kind of sleep reasonably well for six or seven out of the ten days. Okay. So I think... A lot of what you're saying, I think a lot of our listeners will, will associate with in terms of, you know, work-related stress, the, 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 the mind ticking over all the time, waking up during the night and being kind of wired. I would get that coming up to a really big uh, conference or when the TV show's on, on a Monday morning, we're going to, going to record, I would get that I would wake up quite a lot and your head's just ticking over. But I can generally get myself back to sleep quickly enough and I can, I can nap during the day for 30, 40 minutes. Um, Deirdre, now, so there's oh. your there's your patient. Deep there's uh, there's Paul's story. Um, it's not first of all, it's not something that you you come across a lot. A similar type of story to Paul's. Or there are, yeah, there are common? elements in there. Uh, the first and key thing is you get rid of clocks mm. everywhere. What is the point in knowing you've only had two hours sleep and there it is, it's 20 past two looking at you and you're doing the mathematics straight away to know that you have to be up at seven in the morning or the kids will be making noise anyway. So I've got X, Y and Z, I've four and a half hours left. So there's an inner pressure, an added inner pressure Mm. apart from this busy head of yours. It's also interesting the way you talk about training and about, you know, these uh, these cycles that you do or hikes, whatever people are into. you know, they are terrific. That's what your body is built for, to give yourself the satisfaction of, of completing something like that. But it doesn't equal better night's sleep because there is a huge, huge dichotomy between quantity and quality. And for myself and the field I work in, I talk quality all the time okay. that I'd much prefer to hear people have a rock solid six, six and a half hours sleep per night than worrying about whether they're going to dribble along up to hit the eight hour target, which people have a mis- well, misperception it's, 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 a go- it's, it's a goal it's, for people, isn't it? I have yeah. to hit my eight. No, the, my no eight. the normal adult sleep need now, globally speaking, and from a good health point of view is seven to seven and a half hours. And that is the expectation we all should have. But God, you've so much on your landscape that there's no way you can clear all that dross for starters. (laughs) So you're right about the daytime effects being irritability and hallelujah. You know, you're comforting yourself by having a team that Mm. covers for you. And I'm putting that brutally to you. But the other thing to consider is your your health issue about your hiatus hernia is a huge interferer with sleep. And it must be treated with either medication or looked at in other ways, including, you know, there's a lot of pillows out there now that are supposed to improve your posture. Have you? Yeah, the the new wedge one. Pardon There's me? a new wedge one. No, I haven't tried that. Yeah, I've yeah. got the because that is a no interference. Yeah, one pillow, oh, yeah, two pillow, yeah. no pillow. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've yeah. Well, I mean, a lot, a lot of the orthopedic population, you know, the consultants do say none or, or one. Yeah. You know, in I terms mean, of pillows, but for yeah. for you, you you need to have that that seen too. Okay. There's a couple of things because it's about your head. Um, yeah. Now. The key elements in terms of good sleep, practice and good sleep hygiene are from an environmental point of view, it's eliminating light and noise. So how dark is your bedroom? The current the current thinking about sleep is bedrooms should be cool and dark. Mm-hmm. Now, cool doesn't mean your funky decor. It means a lower temperature. temperature. We sleep better, cooler. Uh, and in fairness, I don't know many Irish people, even during our cold winters, that leave heating on in, in their bedroom overnight. Uh, but dark is the key one. And if your room isn't dark enough, Paul, wear a mask. Tried in the mask. past. But then you can't see the clock. <laughs> yeah, well, so, like, cut it out. Um, so... 
The mask is one thing. Or the, yeah, the eye mask is another. Earplugs, again, if, if there's a noise interference. But it sounds like it's more to do with your head. Yeah. So, for that... Uh, sorry, I'll just deal with the, the lifestyle uh, issues that affect our sleep, which are caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, diet mm. and exercise. Yeah. Caffeine, you, you know, we all... I'd be a heavy I, coffee drinker. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind that. Mm. But there's caffeine in a lot of other things as Correct. well, including yeah, the soft drinks yeah, and, yeah. you know, uh, the tea, various herbal, brands. A lot of the herbal Yeah, teas. because it was interesting on the, on the notification I got about you that you said you gave up your caffeine in the middle of the afternoon and turned to tea. tea. Sorry, <laughs> kiddo, but there's the, the same amount of caffeine in tea. So for it's people like you, I ask people to eliminate all caffeine mm. after five o'clock in the evening. OK, so five o'clock is your cutoff. It is Brilliant. because okay. because caffeine, the effects of caffeine last for four to six hours in certain individuals. Okay. But what's really important to know is that a lot of over-the-counter medications also contain caffeine. Okay. Really? And again, not throwing the brands around, but for example, Nurofen has less caffeine in it than Nurofen Plus, has less caffeine in it than Nurofen Express. Panadol Extra has more caffeine in it than Panadol. The, uh, the caffeine has to be in there. Mm-hmm. And in fairness, the drug companies announce this anyway on their voiceovers for their ads and stuff. This product contains caffeine, which is used in the digestion of the pain reliever. That's why it's in there. Okay. It's to get it out into your bloodstream and move you around faster. But I mean, the other little treat people give them often in the evenings is the little squares of chocolate. And of course, it's always low fat, high, dark, all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah. Doesn't matter. It's full of caffeine. Full of caffeine. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so search for caffeine on the food labels and and get caffeine out of your diet, pre ideally before five o'clock. Oh yeah. I had a little old dear that I was treating who did the right things, bringing the glass of hot milk up to bed with her ritual. Uh, and I was wondering, according to her sleep diary, when she was attending me, why she wasn't getting off to sleep properly or quickly. She only confessed to me around about week three that she was bringing four Jaffa cakes with her up to bed to have with the milk. And there was enough chocolate on that to stimulate her back into wakefulness. Wow. OK, so just be careful. Okay. Caffeine, nicotine. Yep. I don't know whether you smoke or have the odd one, but that's that's OK. It's not a relaxant drug. It's a stimulant mm. like caffeine. Mm-hmm. A lot of people tell me they like that last relaxing fag before they get into bed. It don't work like that. Okay. <laughs> uh, it raises your blood pressure by about 10 points, increases your heart rate, etc. Um, diet is a key one. We, we know that a light snack a little bit before bed is quite conducive to sleep. And a lot of people that attend me in my practice often give up that and go to bed hungry because they think it's whatever they're having for their supper is what's keeping them awake. In the same vein, is it important to avoid a heavier meal Obviously, late at night? Yes, that yes, would make so it very uncomfortable. <clears throat> and Paul, yeah. above all, would know that Absolutely. anyway. Yeah. You know, okay. and and then if, I, if I eat after eight o'clock. Oh, yeah. It's you're finished. Over. Yeah. And in, yeah. in terms of light snack, just for our listeners, light snack. I mean, milk, you see, milk is the, is the key one because it's a light, easily digestible food. There's melatonin so, in there as well, isn't there? No, no, no we produce our own melatonin. Okay. Uh, no, they were talking about tryptophans in oh, milk yeah. that were helpful, all right. But this the scientific jury is out, okay. I have to say, in terms of milk and why it works and how it works. But the old bowl of cornflakes or people make par- porridge or look, if bananas uh, mashed on a cream cracker work for you, take them. And also, can I blow another myth out of the Go water? Cheese does not give you bad dreams. <laughs> okay, so cheese on crackers is okay, perfect. It is perfect. Yeah. Okay, so a light, a light snack before bed is, is totally it's, cool. Avoid, avoid totally. caffeine and avoid stimulants. Yeah, yeah. and then exercise. Exercise is the key one, all right, because there's no doubt about it, but fitter people, you'll kill me for saying this, Paul, have better quality sleep. 
And folks, if you're in I, studio, I'm you'll see the photograph when we launch this. But Paul is a very fit man. He trust is, me. yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm trying to say is, do not exercise too close to bedtime. Yeah, yeah. And and I used to, I used to go to the gym after work. Yeah. Which would be six o'clock till That's seven, fine. maybe half That's seven. Fine. But for me, it was just, uh, it just didn't work. But all my training now is very early in the morning. Could be six Super. or sevens in the morning. Yeah. Generally, that's when it would yeah. be. Or afternoon. Yeah. Sometimes midweek. No, as you said, Carl, people have so much on and so many aspects of their lives to attend to. A lot of people are only have the time to hit to the gym at mm -hmm. eight, half eight in the evening. So you need a two hour gap between finishing exercise and thinking of taking yourself off to bed. Okay, so again, kind of two hours before you sleep. Yep. Right, so we've, yep. we've looked at you know, some really good... Um, They're the lifestyle, lifestyle and, and then the environmental ones, yes. but the key one is your head. Yeah. So you must get set aside a period for yourself in the early part of the evening, say after your, your dindins. Mm -hmm. uh, a little piece of paper in the kitchen, lean on the worktop. I mean, the, the, the literature says it's very formalized. Sit down with your pen and paper, etc., and use this couple of minutes to leave you feeling more in control. Okay. So what you do is you write down two or three little points on the back of a receipt, even out of your wallet will do you. You think about the day, how it has gone for you, and then you dump it. Paul, because if you've had a, a row with somebody on the phone at 11 o'clock this morning over mm, something that should mm. have, etc., that's over. That's was it 11 o'clock this they morning. They would be the triggers that would stay in my mind. Of course mind they are. I, yeah. But get them down on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And then the second part to that is, and you probably have it anyway, uh, is a little to-do list with steps you can take to complete any loose ends. Yep. Because the point about all this is you're doing this in the early part of your evening. In other words, practically the extension of your daytime. So you're doing this and clearing your head at a time when you're much more awake so that you can get yourself off to bed mm -hmm. knowing that's sorted for tomorrow. Sure, that's down on the list down in the kitchen or already in your briefcase or whatever, Okay. you know. Okay. And I mean, for you and like that, we've talked about it. This business of being tired, but wired it's is key out there. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, no screens in the bedroom uh, and that includes phones, etc. Uh, but I mean, there was a conference there recently. Uh, a lady from the States was talking at Trinity and she was even talking about charging of devices in bedrooms are now, we feel, having an impact on sleep quality. And that's an important one one for people who are listening with families because obviously with children there's iPads there's phones oh, there's lots God, of stuff yeah, in, in yeah. the children's bedrooms that really shouldn't oh, be there absolutely yeah yeah clear out the bedrooms of all screens this is not a mammy naggy thing to be talking about it is known to have a physiological application the light frequency of a screen, be it a handheld one like the mobile phone, the iPad, the Kindle, etc., has a light frequency in behind it to be visible to us of 25 to 27 hertz. That's traveling along through your eye and through your optic nerve to hit the appropriate part of your brain and tickling our pineal gland on the way and fooling you into thinking it's wake up time. So that that's mm. the reason for it. It's not that it's... A bad thing to do. We know why it's a bad okay, thing. Okay, so your screens are so literally trying to wake up. They're trying to wake up the body. Uh, so that, which is why yeah. people recommend yeah, getting them out of the bedroom. Stopping the melatonin flow yeah. that you alluded to earlier. Okay. So that's why I allow TV in a living room because essentially it's watched at a much further distance than something that's sitting in your lap. Okay. Okay. Because unfortunately, and it's space constraints as well in our current day living. A lot of people use the bedroom as a recreation space. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they're on the phone for a bit of peace up there talking. They've the laptop. They're kind of watching a Netflix end of something that the pile of books beside the bed there that they must read sometime. So like the bedroom becomes cluttered with living things. Because the final insult of all is the exercise bike that's sitting over in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> and when travelling with work, your yep. hotel room is your office, is your... Of course. That's right. You know, yeah. and it, becomes a, it becomes a stressful space it's a as cubicle, opposed to you just a relaxing space. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I suppose it's like, to, to pull it back a little bit just for our, for our listeners, we'd like to give them three kind of key takeaways. And just listen to the, the advice that you're giving Paul. There's three real key ones that jump out. Um, one is have a look at the external surroundings of your bedroom so such as the clocks <laughs> i really like that obviously light um well cool and dark and is, cool and dark is the actual headline okay yeah great cool and dark and then from there so mobile mobile phones that have to be used as alarms generally should be you know obviously on silent and out of reach because a lot of people reach for those as the first thing if they are tossing and turning during the night. I was that person, yeah. And, then, and can and I say, you know, we have a, no, a lot of normal tossing and turning at night in our sleep because it's just us shifting from one stage of sleep into another anyway. But a lot of people, people like you, Paul, unfortunately, yeah. those wakes, those natural arousals out of sleep mean a lot to you mm-hmm. because ching ching, your brain is going exactly. 100 miles an hour exactly. of those. Yeah. Whereas that's the only difference between you and I. I have just as many uh, as arousals out of sleep as you have, mm-hmm. but they don't mean a thing to me or exactly. I can't yeah, even yeah. remember yeah. them. You Whereas you add back. them on, uh, add them up and equals bad night's sleep yeah. again. Mm-hmm. I have to say from your own reportage there, uh, this business of, you know, I have a sleep week, mm-hmm. that doesn't work. That, that's, that's not real. <laughs> okay. uh, it, it's, you've reached a point of exhaustion whereby you've let go into this. Oh, agreed. So, yeah, agreed. obviously, I, the, I'd like you to spread all yes, that out yeah. to make it much more yeah, 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 beneficial yeah, yeah. and quality-driven for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing, cool and dark in terms of your external environment, in terms of lifestyle, look, look for caffeine in oh, absolutely yeah. everything. Well, Get it in before caffeine. 5 o'clock in the day. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Get some exercise done at least two hours uh, between exercise and sleep. Yep. And then the big one is very much, but I suppose call it a brain dump for want of a better oh, word, or sure. listening. For sure. So when, you yeah, know, before your evening <clears throat> part kicks in, when you get home from work, maybe before you've had your dinner, put five, ten minutes aside for yourself, Absolutely. get a list out and whatever it is, put it down on paper. Yeah, but it's two sides to it. You know, something about the day and yeah. how it has gone for you because that's now just at the end of it. So and it's then, reflection very much. You're yes, reflecting upon yes. how your day has gone. And then and the you're issues. organizing yourself for it. And you're mapping day. it maybe yeah. tomorrow, you know, tomorrow's Absolutely. day in the fall. You must get to so the school for the, school, the teacher yeah. meeting, etc. Okay, et so basically, you know, you get home, you have two lists. One is the current, is today and one is tomorrow mm-hmm. and list them out mm-hmm. and, and then put it aside and focus on yourself yeah. then and unwind the, the mind as the, as the kind yeah, of Yeah, but there is a, it is important to have a wind down before bedtime. So flopping around in front of the telly in the, in the living room is fantastic. Yeah. You know, reading a book, leading, uh, listening to nice music, whatever. Music uh, actually keeps me awake. Which? Music keeps me awake even more. Okay, because you've <laughs> been playing it in bed, have you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. that's your music in bed yeah, uh, association. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to eliminate that. Yeah, yeah. Music <laughs> is for the living room yeah, yeah. or for dancing around the kitchen. <laughs> okay, so the, the bedroom very much needs to be a space of calm oh, and a total. space of... 
Yeah, an oasis of peace, I like to call it. I love it, oasis of peace. (laughs) On that, we're going to wrap up. Deirdre McSweeney, thank you so much for coming in. And uh, Paul DeLockery, thank you so much. much. Folks, as always, you can send us some questions. It's realhealthatindependence.ie. It's at curlhenrypt on Twitter and on Instagram with hashtag realhealthpodcast. Thank you so much for listening in. I thank you so much for reviewing and rating the podcast so far. Every single rating and review helps, even the ones that tell us they don't like what we're doing. That's perfectly fine as well, with no problem. Keep tuning in on next week's show we have a very very special episode real health podcast is going on the road we're heading to the states for an amazing interview you're not going to want to miss have a great week i'll see you next week leia healthcare it's good to live proud sponsor of the real health podcast with carl henry